kind of start off or continue um, from for wherever you feel comfortable, and we'll just kind of bounce back and forth. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, I get very itchy about interviews as well, so this is also helping me practice. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think to be honest, like mine is very. I guess it's very difficult to understand which is which. Like if it's as a woman, as a black woman, or as an mm-hmm. immigrant, because um, yeah, I came here. I wasn't born here. Yeah. So most of it is very, very intertwined. Um, but so basically, I came here when I was ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I came literally to I was in year six when I came here, um, and I remember my parents were like, "We moved to a white area." So I moved to a white area. The thing is, at the time, I don't even know what I really thought about it. It was just like, "Here, yeah, we knew those white, those bare white people." It was, it was very like. Mm. For coming from where you always see black people, where there's no white people to yeah. everywhere, like literally. I think I was like the only black person in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, I think the first time I kind of noticed that, I don't, okay, I don't want to sound, is this going to be like, because uh, I feel like I'm probably going to go at it as the negatives of being black. No, honestly. Um, which like, speak, speak, don't sense yourself. Yeah, so I think to be honest, with everything going on right now, my mind is probably more skewed towards being the negative. Um mm-hmm. Or like the experience and the negative experiences I kind of had as a result. So I think um, the first thing that we kind of noticed, um, and this is where I am learned initially, like in terms of like um, I'm an immigrant, so there's stuff that goes in with like you, you sounding fresh, the culture difference, all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult which one was which. But I know my accent got oh got teased a lot. Cultural difference got teased a lot. Um, didn't really couldn't just like I just knew I was different in it. Mm. Um, I think the first thing we even noticed was, um, and it's a funny thing because I was talking to a friend about this, and he also said the same thing. When black people come into an area, even if it's family, white people start leaving. Mm. You just start for sales sign going. It is. I think that I thought it was like in my head, like, but no. It really is a thing. You see them, they start shaking. We had police call, like they called call the police once. They said it was disturbance, but it wasn't a coincidence that they asked for our papers because I think our neighbors thought we're legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't a coincidence that they asked, like, oh, yeah, do you have rent? I was like, yeah, we're renting property. There was nothing wrong with, with, um, with us, but it was just like we just knew. Just small, small things. Mm-hmm. I think my parents kind of worked for us, um, but... Yeah, I, at the time, I'm not even gonna lie. I just knew I was different. I probably attributed more to the fact that I was a freshie rather than mm-hmm. didn't really because I'm yeah, not used to it. I think the biggest one I remember was being like my my set my primary school deterring me from applying to grammar school. Mm-hmm. So when I came here, I came here. I think eleven plus is done in November, mm-hmm. uh, and. My parents were, my mum was very insistent that we all had to go to grammar school. She was like, yeah, we're not coming here for you to go to some next school mm-hmm. and end up like nothing. Um, and my school literally deterred me. They were like, don't worry about it. It's not that deep. Like, you know, you can just go to school next hour. And da, 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 da. So basically, my parents had to go and, and things are like, bear in mind, in this, at this point here, we've been in this country for like a month or two. Because mm-hmm. we came here in August, we've been here for like a month or two. Um, and my parents basically had to go find a family friend of a family friend 
to go get books and get study guides and everything mm. because my, my, my primary school was not going to help me. Like, they were not going to help me. And I remember, like, even when I got, you know, I went to grammar school, because, like, the whole, the whole thing was very different. It was, like, it was, like, a completely, like, the, the way of teaching, everything was so different. So I just remember, like, they just did not want, I don't know why, like, oh, I know why, but they just didn't want that. Um... My experiences with secondary school, I'm not gonna lie, um pretty much a loan up. So um <laughs> so um I don't really I don't really recall anything to do. They probably was, but I don't really recall much. I just remember like I think one thing I remember was I had one biology teacher mm-hmm. uh, and he um seemed to think that I was a spokesperson for everything black. Mm-hmm. So literally like you'd be like yeah, so the reason why black people or African, let me say like, the reason why African people have a lot of children is because so many of them die in adult, I mean, childhood. Isn't that right, Eddie? I'm sitting down there like, nah. my mother had three children. <laughs> like, I don't know what we're chatting. Yeah. Um, just to say stuff like that. And then I remember telling my mom about it. Because I think at some point, we just say, like, small things, like, oh, yeah, people in Africa live in mud huts, and they say, and bear in mind, I mean, I'm going to school, and a teacher is saying this openly mm-hmm. in class, like, openly in class, and everyone was laughing, like, kiki keen. Um, so mm-hmm. it was just like, once I told my mom, my mom had had enough, my mom basically told me that, stuff like that, my child. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, for me, the only other standout incident I remember from secondary school is probably, and it's something I say a lot about, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure I'm not the person who says um, this, but when a white girl cries, the world listens. Mm-hmm. So I was getting bullied, okay? So mm-hmm. I was getting bullied, and then one day, like, I used to just, like, normally I used to like to read my newspaper, um, and some girl thought like it would be funny to basically try to grab my newspaper and be running with it like and be laughing I'm like mm-hmm. there's nothing funny so they do this a lot and then one day I just had enough like I literally lost it um, and I swung a table the table did not hit her yeah but she started crying yeah I got suspended mm. uh, I got suspended nobody looked at the facts that um I was, it was, one, I didn't actually harm somebody, two, um, it wasn't like it was, like, um, unprovoked, it was very, very much provoked, like, the person mm-hmm. had been, some, no one looked at that, it was just like, Ebby, you shouldn't have done that, and it's like, mm-hmm. I had to go and apologise to the girl, and I think my sister also has a very similar experience on that, where it's mm-hmm. like, the minute, um, yeah, the minute there's, like, an altercation or whatever, it's not really... It doesn't matter how small you are, you just... Yeah, they'll, yeah. Paint, they'll paint you as the aggressor. Yeah, oh, I'm going to get to the aggressor uh, one in a bit. One really interesting kind of theme that I noticed, and I want to characterise it by saying kind of when you first started speaking about even kind of your experience at secondary school, you kind of said you didn't think you'd be insightful um, and that your sister would have a more insightful experience because you were kind of a loner. But I actually think this is really deeply important to address because kind of from what I'm getting, obviously I don't want to speak on your experience, but kind of when we tend to see, you know, kids or young adults kind of being lonerish or being, you know, standoffish from a group, there always tends to be an underlying reason why. And I think in this instance, actually, a lot of the microaggressions that you were experiencing at school from teachers, from, you know, other students as well, could have contributed to the fact that actually you wanted to withdraw from these people. 
And I think yeah. it's really kind of encapsulated in what you kind of said about actually kind of when a white girl cries, kind of the world listens. Because again, kind of looking at behavior amongst teenagers, and this is from my own experience um, of kind of, you know, looking at kind of safeguarding and working with the young people, but kind of loner behavior is in itself a kind of almost, not necessarily a cry for help, but it's almost a cry for something in the sense that, you know, there's always just a reason to just be like, actually, are you okay? And sometimes the person is just perfectly happy being alone and that's 100% fine. But oftentimes there's yeah. kind of an underlying reason as to why. Um, I just think that is kind of really sad that... I think... Mm -hmm. I think, yes, I'm going to say something that's going to come out slightly because I think everything that's been going on recently is mm -hmm. highlighting racism, but mm -hmm. actually the way in which black people themselves segregate themselves. So... If I speak like so, I like I made a big point to mention I'm an immigrant. So mm -hmm. I got pulled as well by British Africans. I mean British black people. Mm -hmm. So it was like I was too close to being African. So things like my accent, and mm -hmm. to be honest, my accent hasn't really ever gone. So I, I still think I have a, a bit of an accent, but then it was a lot thicker. So mm -hmm. my siblings could assimilate. I couldn't because I was a lot more mature when I left Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So it, I feel like part of being lonely was really, one, I got bullied. Two, um, I felt like the work etiquette I had been told from childhood mm -hmm. to, that was a good thing. It wasn't, a, it was like, you, you, listen, like, why are you doing that? You're not cool, you're weird, you're a nerd, like all of those funny things. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite clear which is to do with race, which is to do with, you know, um, the fact that I'm an immigrant, which is to do with my personality, it's kind of a bit intertwined. Yeah. Um, but I think it was really good finding like that I didn't really feel like I had a place to belong. Mm -hmm. So eventually, I think towards the end of the century, I did find like a few people where I felt I felt like I didn't belong with the British black people. Mm -hmm. They had all these slangs and they all lived in like a black area, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. But I just um, didn't really. So I think eventually I kind of stuck with the white people. But again. We weren't the same. Yeah. So it was like, it was just very, it basically just felt like as if I didn't really have somewhere to belong. Yeah. There's questions of kind of identity and belonging and even just kind of this existential things of kind of, you know, who am I, where do I belong kind of from this? Because it's really a really great example is actually kind of looking at the fact that you kind of came from Nigeria to the UK. You came from an environment where, you know, basically most people or almost everyone you'll probably interact with will be black Nigerians. Yeah. And then now kind of when you're in the UK, you're seeing these people who look like you, a lot of them will have the same heritage as you, and yet they're completely different. And yet there's not that same, you know, kind of co-shared identity there. There's actually almost kind of an element of hostility in the fact that they'll make fun of people and call them fresh or they'll make fun of accents. Um, and this is something which I'm, I'm not going to pretend like as a, as a black British person in the UK that I never did it myself with that. I wasn't a part of it because I can definitely remember in primary school, you know, or secondary school, even people making them jokes about, oh yeah, X, Y, Z, you know, they're, they're fresh off the boat or they just came from um, whatever country. So this thing is really interesting that even kind of as black British people, we further alienate and ostracize actually black Africans at times. Yeah. And I'm sure you obviously know the whole thing about like black men and black women and all of that. No, what do you, you mean? You know what I mean? Okay, so okay, so secondary school like black men saying like you know certain colors of like so basically I'm going into colorism now. Yeah, saying that you know black girls are ugly, black girls are aggressive, black girls are too much. 
black girls they do the most this is why I don't go with black girls I'm gonna go with a white girl like stuff so I feel like I got exposed to this a little bit later mm-hmm. um my sister unfortunately did not so my sister that's why I was like really I'm gonna go grab the girl in a second so I feel like she was more um social so she definitely got the brunt of it and then we also go to colorism because I'm not dark skinned so I'm I'm not light skinned but I'm, not, I'm basically brown skinned mm-hmm. so I feel like I didn't get those comments or anything like that anywhere near as much um, so I would say like really it started to become obvious mm-hmm. what, because my parents always told me this they always tell us this they always tell us this like from the oh I forgot to mention about hair oh hair mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to that one a bit <laughs> But yeah. I just remember, like, people, like, my braids would fall off. Because, like, braids, when they were getting old, they would fall off. And people screaming and people running. Like, oh, what's that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's cooties. Yeah. Like, like and it would be so embarrassing. Um, and obviously, like, with most black girls, I think we go through the natural hair struggle where I've been relaxing my hair so much. I relax my hair. So much I damaged it. So the whole natural hair movement is what is kind of coming into mm-hmm. because we basically got told me that our hair has to be relaxed. Not to say relax it, but you mm-hmm. need to make your hair neat. Yeah. Which, to be honest, natural black hair doesn't do. So it's like that. Um, so I think my first probable big incident um, was kind of, um, I think I was 18 at the time. So mm-hmm. it was 18. And I went into Asda. So there was a woman, and I think this was this was probably the time when I was like, I feel like work. When I came to work, you know, we knew that we're different, but like there was enough of ACS to make you feel like as if you know it's not quite as bad. Yeah. So I think this was the first experience where I was just like, oh shit, it's a bit of a mad one. Um, and it was a situation where I basically so I went to Asda. I went to go put stuff in the shopping, like um, I shopped put stuff on a trolley, I mean, put stuff on the, like, checkout, like, I was, it was a self-serve, so, as I was there, I realised, oh, I need to get one more thing, so there was a white woman and a mixed-race girl behind me, so, I'm going, oh, I'm so sorry, I just need to get something, she goes, oh, for fuck's sake, I'm sitting down there, like, whoa, like, okay, so she's like, yeah, yeah, you can't be doing that, I'm like, do you, know, do you know how cheese work? Like, is it okay? So I go to go get stuff. I was literally there for like maybe 20, 30 seconds. I come back and realize that this woman has basically moved everything. I've, I've scanned and everything. I'm moving them across. I was like, are you serious? Like, is this really joking? Um, this woman, I'm like, at this point I'm arguing. I'm like, what the hell? Like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, like a staff member comes mm-hmm. comes to me and be like oh madam I'm just going to have to calm down I'm sitting down there going like this woman is swearing at me but you're looking at me at the problem people are looking it's embarrassing I'm sitting down there because he's looking like I say at this point I'm pissed off like I'm just like he's looking like as if like I'm there to stay trouble and she's there like okay you know what yeah I'm just going to solve the situation so they basically basically gets a trolley and grabs my stuff puts it puts it together and he's like, okay, I'm just going to take you to somewhere else. I was like, apologizing to the lady. I'm sitting down there going like, are you being serious right now? Yeah. Like in all of this, I haven't said anything. There's two of them. Both of them are taller than me. But yes, you came into the situation and just assumed that I must be the trouble. Mm. 
Do you get what I'm trying to say? Like, and I remember that moment was like, I remember it was an answer, it was in Charlton, and I was just like, did that really just happen? Because I felt really, I just felt embarrassed. I think that was the word for it. I'm just like, did that really just happen? And it was just like, why is it that you just assume that I must be the trouble? Like, it must be me. But yeah, so I think that was like a, like, okay, raw. I was like, okay, raw. Mm-hmm. And then even, like, and I'm sure, like, I'm not the only person, because like, I've spoken to people on this one about, like, when you start working. So my first proper job, I had a gap year. So I worked in, okay, so this one you cannot call it because, obviously, it's, I worked for a white lady, again, had a problem with me. Um, so my mom works in she didn't know me from anywhere. I think she basically just saw that, oh, her mum is high up here. And she just assumed, I, like, basically I got an entry nepotism. I'm sitting down there going, like, bro, we all have to do tests to get into here. I got the highest. Twice. So there's no nepotism in this. Like, mm-hmm. we know, like, I'm not, it's, it, the job is not a difficult job if you're a smart person. Like, it's not a difficult job, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. So she just says, you like, I think I, towards the end, I was like, I think it's like, okay, what? Because in my head, I was like, when everything went down, um, I was thinking, could I have stopped this? But I realized she already started her own whatever about me mm-hmm. um, before she even met me. So she didn't know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she said that I had an attitude problem. Didn't have no back for two problems. Like, could you say, like, why? It's just like, it's how she, it's how she speaks. I'm like, but you're not actually able to say that I have I'm like I don't have an attitude problem okay so there's no backing but to be honest one person speaking irrelevant not that deep it's what followed on after that kind of got me so all of a sudden I had people whispering about me or people talking like basically the way in which I was the way in which I, I walk in heels I was told that I was my the way I walk in heels is aggressive that it's too much pulling it down a bit like I literally eventually had to switch to flats. It was like somebody else said that me speaking on the phone, I was being like, I was talking aggressively. I remember the word aggressively kept on coming back up and up and mm. I'm sitting down going to going like at office I have a soft so I have a very harsh voice usually. But something we basically learn is that you basically have a soft voice when it comes to office because if you have a harsh voice People are waiting for your reasons. <laughs> so I have an office where, so let me get the office where, oh, hello, how are you doing? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. That, my office voice is very, very soft-spoken. So for me to not be, it was like everything I did, all of a sudden was aggressive. Everything I did was, she thinks she's too much. Mm-hmm. You know, she has an attitude problem. And I'm sitting down there and all of this, um, I spoke to my mom she spoke to um, somebody else and she was just like, okay, you know what, get on top of it, um, go and say exactly what's going on. So I literally went to my manager's manager, I spoke to them. In all of this, like, this woman had no backing, but this woman was able to make my life a living nightmare because all of a sudden, and it was the sad part was, it was like, there were white people doing this, but there was also black people doing this as well. Because yeah. I remember that, like, to me, that one was really, really bad because nobody could see that I have anxiety. So no one could see, like, it basically got to a point where mm-hmm. I basically passed out of hospital too because I had a panic attack. That's how bad it got. And nobody, it was just like, oh, this girl, she's, because I basically, I think it just got to a point where 
people were just talking, 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 and just like, oh, she's too much, she's too this, she's too that. My hairstyle is being put into something. My figure mm-hmm. was being put into something. All of a sudden, everything I wore, oh, I'm not even going to that. Yeah, because if, if you're perfect, you under a, a microscope, um, essentially. I would wear a trouser, it was too much. I would wear this, it was too much. I'm sitting down there going, like, I'm seeing people in mini skirts. My skirt goes past my knee. Yeah. What is their wrong with my, like, what is it? Like, it's just everything, you just feel like as if everything was just being called into question. And I'm like, really? Like, mm-hmm. re- I don't know, for me, it was just like, I think this one all happened, like, it was insane summer that this happened. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just, like, getting to, and I remember, like, I talked to, I talked to one of my friends who's also curvy and as well, and that one about, you know, your body being, qu- being questioned. Like, I've had people, tell me that managers are being distracted by me but I should wear something you know a little bit less fitting and stuff like that so I remember like I um, I speak to one of my friends she had the same thing as well where people be like oh you just need to put you just need to put a bit more people will make funny remarks feel some kind of way so a lot of this will tie in with um, yeah. um, you know mis- uh, misogyny and a lot of that ties yeah. in with that so I, I think I can yeah. I can definitely um, see kind of connections already because even just relating this kind of to what you're saying about Asda kind of a commonality which I've already seen is the fact that you've kind of got this individual right so this white woman in the who kind of because of the color of her skin and because of assumptions that she had about you she then acted on those assumptions and stereotypes to create a hostile environment for you and that's something yeah. which ultimately you weren't treated with compassion you weren't treated with humanity you were treated as an aggressor and as a threat and I think the reason why I said this relates directly to Asda is because in the Azure example, again, the employee who kind of, you know, entered that situation, they instantly assumed that you were the aggressor. They instantly assumed, again, because you're a black woman, that you were kind of the one who had initiated um, kind of the abuse that was being hurled at you. But one thing I thought as well in both, situ- both situations, which um, is a bit of kind of a sad realisation, is the fact that within t- kind of your black colleagues as you're kind of saying didn't necessarily stand up for you some of them were even kind of going along with the gossip and you know going along with the side remarks and again in the Azra example you kind of mentioned that this white lady had a mixed race girl with her who I'm assuming was her daughter so mm-hmm. there's again kind of just questions around the fact that if this woman whose partner or whose father of, of her child is a black man is still willing mm-hmm. to be a perpetrator of misogynoir there's just still questions about us as black people actually kind of how like i think i think just the, the the way to kind of put it bluntly is that you know we're still kind of complicit in this because whoever you know kind of yeah. whoever was the father of that daughter like you must have at some point become aware of the views that th- this lady had towards black people the same way the black people who were going along with it at tfl should have had that cognition moment of oh this is actually wrong you know this is actually racist and it's very sad to be honest, because like I, I always say this here, amongst I feel like black people. And the thing is that we can sit down and blame colonialism about on it. Mm-hmm. We can say that you know we're victims too. Um, and I've heard this defense a lot, especially when it comes to black men. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I say this black men. I obviously, it never it doesn't apply to my friends. Otherwise, they wouldn't be my friends. So mm-hmm. it's more of the outside. Before it seems like as if I'm attacking, but the general things of how people it's like we seem to get to this point where we always want to one-up each other mm-hmm. so it's like you know what yeah if i marry white or if i do something right or if i'm closer to them yeah i maybe i will be better or maybe i will belong and we don't mind stepping on others 
to get and colorism is a classic example of this. A colorism is a classic example of this. Um, so it's within the black community because I think that's something else we need to tackle because it's kind of like if you already are so divided, how do you want the rest of the world to see you? And whether we like it or not, um, US and UK problems are slightly different in the sense that I was actually looking it up a couple of days ago. UK we're three percent. US is about twelve or more. I think some. I think the list was like thirteen percent. So we're smaller. So I'm like, why are we segregating ourselves so much? Why are we so like? Oh, you will get dark skin men who say, I literally because this one. I think I started becoming aware of this mm-hmm. more when I started. And I'm gonna say this one actually because I've I've had this now from two Ghanaian men and one Nigerian. Um, was people complimenting me for my skin, like my skin color. And I'm sitting down there going like, no, thank you. Yeah. Because they were very like, the, the, the people involved were very, very dark people. And they saw me as, oh, you're so nice and light skin. And I was like, I thought this was the first time it happened to me. Um, when was the first time it happened to me? About two years ago. I was just like, really? Is this what we're going to do today? Like, so for me, it was like very like, Really? Um, so I think to be honest, like, and I keep saying this, like, black people, we need to do better. Mm-hmm. To be honest, there's not really a way around it. Um, yeah. So I just I was trying to think about what else I wanted to kind of touch on because I was I was literally I was like, okay, what do I say? Um, oh, a very lovely one that happened. <laughs> um, so there's a few other instances. So this one was actually fairly recent, so about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I slipped my disc um, in my back. Um, mm-hmm. That was fun. I still can just come back and I still remember going to the GP. So first of all, to get an appointment was like obviously deadly whatever. I got to my department, I was in so much pain, I couldn't so I was literally in the GP's waiting room, like campus GP, and I'm crying. Like I'm literally like I can't basically I can't do anything. I can't stand, I can't sit, I can't do anything without pain. Um when I go into the GP's office, so they book an emergency office um, something. I go into an um, the GP's office and Literally, um, she looks at me and says, what can I do for you? And I'm like, there was no sympathy in the eyes, there was nothing. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm just sitting down there explaining what happened. My A&E notes were there that I had slipped my disc. Um, my meds weren't working, nothing was working. I was like, I'm in so much pain, I need something for the pain. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't really think... In fact, she didn't even say, I'm so sorry. She's like, yeah, there's nothing we can really do. Um, you're just going to have to deal with it. I'm sitting mm-hmm. down there. like I understand that that issue, they're very reluctant to give meds yeah yeah which is oh okay sorry i'm gonna call yes father okay okay thank you father yeah it's kind of my trouble today mm-hmm. yeah so she was just looking at me like there was nothing i don't know how to explain that there was nothing in her eyes like to see a person like literally breaking yeah, and there was there was nothing in her eyes, and she was looking at me like looking at her watch. She was like, "Anything else I can do?" I'm like, "So you're telling me there's nothing?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm so sorry. There's nothing mm-hmm. we can do." And the thing is, I literally went back eventually again, and they did give me medication. So, she, so there wasn't anything. It wasn't like there was nothing yeah. that they could do. There was a lack of kind of sympathy really. in humanity. Yeah, it was just it was a complete. And I remember like literally, my department tried to put me in for another appointment. And I said, I literally, I've just told, like, I put it on my son. I said, I do not want to ever have to see that doctor ever again. She was a white middle-class woman. She must have been in her 50s or 60s. Um, and it was just, it wasn't even like, the thing is that I know that back issues, 
they're very reluctant to give narcotics and all of that. Um, so I know about all of this, but there was no compassion in her eyes. There yeah. was nothing. It was like she was just looking through me and she was looking at her time like, mm-hmm. you're going to go. Mm. I just said, and this, I'd heard about stuff like this, that, you know, like this, um, basically they're more likely to see black people as drug seeking, they're more likely to see that we have higher pain threshold. Yeah. But I think it was, I never really, I heard about it and seen research about it, never experienced it until then. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it was just, I, I just remember, like, it was just, yeah. And I can definitely see why kind of that in itself as well is a really... It's, it's just, to even put it bluntly, it's a really fucked up um, incident. And the reason why I say kind of fucked up especially is because this is something... When you slipped your disc, I remember as well, because I think I saw you a few weeks afterwards and you were still in pain kind of then. So this is something which I can only imagine how painful it was and how kind of serious it was at the time. And the fact that you were kind of treated with, again, that lack of humanity, that lack of compassion... It in itself kind of just shows you that even again these stereotypes still exist within the medical community and that same doctor who you know was kind of telling you there's nothing that they can do for you then is probably still a doctor today and probably has told countless other black people or ethnic minority people you know there's nothing she can do from them and the question and the reason why i'm kind of posing this as something really important to focus on is because there's a real potential to do harm there and what i mean by this is how many you know diagnoses have gone missed how many you know people haven't been prescribed medication they actually need um based off of kind of whatever preconception this person has had yeah like yeah because me and doctors like i basically i don't speak to doctors anymore and I just feel like, yeah, sometimes it's a bit, yeah, so I'm just, so other, I think other comments, so like, for me, other comments kind of came probably when I started, so I predominantly date black people, um, I have dated white before, um, probably will not go back to that, um, but then you start seeing, again, all these lovely, lovely stereotypes, like, big bomb, can you twerk, Ooh, mm-hmm. that one's my favourite. Can you twerk? Can you show us how to twerk? Um, and so it's fascinating for that, but it's actually what they do. Like, oh, yeah, this is why I like black girls. Mm-hmm. And it's just, again, it's a reduction to body parts. And to be honest, I'm not going to lie and say that it's just white men who do it, black men also do it. Um, I feel that maybe it's more that I see with white people where it's just like it almost comes across like a fetish. So I'm very aware that everything I'm saying probably probably more towards black female agenda. But I am female, so a lot of my experience are to do with females. Like it's just it's just like stuff for stereotypes. Mm-hmm. You, the obvious one like touching your hair, mm. making comments about your hair. Um yeah, it's just it, sometimes mm. it's like when I went natural, I'm like, okay, you know my hair is nice, that's nice, but don't come and start you yeah. don't know what I put on my hair don't, don't, don't come, come and try and grab it fucking my thing up yeah don't touch my hair like yeah. it's, there's a whole thing about it and it's really like that don't touch my hair you want to go up to a white person and go and start feeling the hair like mm-hmm. oh what's that like why are you touching my hair you're like you know when they, they basically go like this oh can I touch your hair and they're already touching it yeah it's, it's kind of a like you know it's kind of an expectation that, you know, they're just allowed to kind of just, again, invade your physical um, kind of private space. One, one, one thing I'd be curious to kind of delve um, a bit more into, because actually you kind of mentioned before 
actually about the fact that kind of as a black woman you've dealt with uh, a, a lot of kind of body policing as well and what i kind of mean by this is the fact that you know there's these people whether it's kind of dating or whether it's kind of the workplace whether it's education who will always have these kind of stereotypes always have these connotations about you know how you dress or how you behave or how you act as a black woman but the reality is kind of and i think the example you gave before is kind of about how you're dressing that your body type is your body type you can't really change how clothes look on you right i think the question i'm asking is more so just one kind of what has your experience been with you know people trying to police that Uh, and two also how's that actually made you feel people policing kind of how your your body looked so i think when it comes to workplace Mm -hmm. where i have gotten to now is basically i wear things that are fairly ill-fitting okay um just because i'm not i don't wear skirts anymore um you, you, oh, there's another one. You have a work week. You must have a work week because you can't go in your natural hair. Um, so you have, an, you have a work week which is straight and it's nice. So you, you just have like a personal, like a personal mm-hmm. that you just will work. Mm-hmm. So I mainly wear fairly loose trousers. To mm-hmm. be honest, I think they basically just make me look big. Long story shorts. Um, but I think where I've gotten to is I figured it's better to look big than to look curvy because curviness you get all sorts of weird attention. I remember working at somewhere where where somebody came to me and asked me if I was you know if I was going to the strip club after and I was like mm. and there was a colleague and literally he was around people and they were laughing. Yeah. And it was like it, it's like you start feeling very self-conscious because like yeah. okay it's funny if you're on a nice out and someone is okay it's really not fun anyway but if you want the attention it's nice when you're trying to get about your daily something or you're being told that you're distracting your um, well manager yeah you should something loose I'm like why am I being why is the problem me not them yeah because my stuff isn't too short I'm wearing you actually cannot see skin hmm um, so why is the problem me? Why, like, why? No, no I can definitely see how actually that would be really quite hurtful because even kind of looking at what um, that, that colleague did as well, that's basically taking the piss in front of your, your other colleagues as well. That's embarrassing someone mm-hmm. and drawing attention mm-hmm. unnecessarily, you know, to someone and making them feel self-conscious in, in a, a group setting. And, and that's definitely, mm-hmm. that's, that's not something which is easy to deal with, is it? No, it's like that's that's it. So literally, I think where it got to is like when I'm at work, mm-hmm. or if I'm doing it, so I pretty much will wear ill-fitting clothes, just because I'm not gonna lie. I'm there to do a job, and especially if it's like even if I'm working in an office, mm-hmm. it's always been like okay, I'm going back to uni. I'm like this is for a section. This is for a section. My life is literally like I just want to get through it. Mm-hmm. I don't want comments. I don't want people inferring things because that's the, the next one that goes when they start to think about you must be a certain kind of girl. Um, I even like to be yeah. You, they must be you must be a certain kind of girl, and you don't want them people to start treating you in a certain way yeah. or people. Um, but I think there was even a situation where I think another colleague was jealous of some of the attention I was getting, but I was just like I wasn't asking for this attention, so I don't know why you're treating me a certain kind of way mm-hmm. or something that was actually out of my control. So like me seeming like oh you can't wear this kind of vest. I'm like what the hell do you want me to wear? Like what? Because sometimes I literally will go like it will get so frustrating because I'm just like 
there is nothing showing. I have big boobs. No matter mm-hmm. what I wear, there will be big boobs anywhere. Like, yeah. like it's not going anywhere. So it's like it, it just becomes. It becomes it just it, like I remember literally like I remember having this conversation when a lot because I think one summer there was just one summer where it was just a, it was a lot for her. Mm-hmm. And she just got to a point where she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to just go wear men's clothes. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because it's like, you come in, you're all professional, you want people to take you seriously, mm-hmm. and somehow you reduce to your to your, um, to your body parts. And I remember even one, there's a rumor place I remember when I said I went to work, and somebody was like, Nah, I can't believe that. I showed that, I had to show them my uni cards. Because I think they are so put me into this whole box that the concept that I might actually have a brain somewhere will it just flew over someone's head like yeah it was just like and the thing is like eventually just kind of I think for me like if I'm honest like right now I don't I think I've gotten used to it so much or you, you just get used to it every now and again something new will come up but for the most part you just you just know this is how it is you know that you can't, even if the white girls can wear, and I remember in six months this was a lot, the white girls would wear skirts that were so short and nobody would ever pull them up on them on it. Yeah. Ever. But you, with your knee, knee length skirt, is being pulled, is being pulled out. Because I'm like, listen, okay, it might start as a knee length here, but I've got hips. When I move, it's going to start riding up. Very mm-hmm. little I can do about it. But I'm wearing tight on the knee, but still mm-hmm. I'm being cold. I'm being told my, my dress sense is my what I'm wearing is not appropriate. And people feel very good to tell you that it is not appropriate without actually being able to explain what it is that is not mm-hmm. appropriate. About because I'm like if it's a length issue, say, oh, your skirt is too short. That's a that's a specific problem. But when they pull you out on it, they never can tell you exactly what is wrong. They just tell you it's not appropriate. Yeah. Kind of a, a lot of what I'm taking from this, because obviously again, like I am I'm not a black woman, so I can't pretend to imagine kind of your lived experience but kind of what I'm I'm able to understand obviously or what I'm able to kind of see is that there's a lot of interesting intersections here I think between actually kind of being black being a woman being you you know a woman with a curvier body type and then also watching how those intersect and interplay in a workplace environment and kind of what I mean by this is you've mentioned so many like great comparisons the fact that if let's say for instance you are white would your, would your colleagues yeah. have had the same energy? Would they have been able to, you know, would they have been as, as comfortable coming yeah, up to you? A white girl would be able to cry. A white girl harassment straight yeah. away. So it's the fact that, you know, you're kind of a black woman that they've really now added kind of this over-sexualized element. And kind of what I'm seeing from that is the fact that a lot of the time, even when they're making these comments, they don't have anything to back it up. It's because they've kind of already in their brain over-sexualized, you know, kind of who you are and kind of what they've seen. And they've then added those preconceptions to that. And even kind of bringing up Warwick University is a perfect example because they've already assumed that, you know, because you're a black woman and you look a certain way that they think you can't be intelligent. They think you can't be anything other than what they've created in their head. And that's why when they see something that goes against that, contradicts that, there's, you know, so much like, oh, no, this can't be true. There's so much denial of it. Um... And I think this, these three things, and obviously there's a lot more there, but it creates such a hostile and dangerous environment for a lot of young black women. Because as you yourself said, it's something which, you know, if you force yourself to kind of become accustomed to, but it's almost forcing you to not be yourself in the sense that 
even just just being able to wear clothes that fit you and that you feel happy wearing that's something which most people don't even like think twice about right and yet it's something which you've been forced to have to double think even again can anybody mention actually having your natural hair out again about you have to think about it yeah it's a mad one um yeah, it's a mad one. And literally, the one I'm saying about the voice thing, people changing their voice, I have literally I've spoken to four girls about this and everybody mm-hmm. has said the same thing. Workplace voice. Yeah. It's mad. In workplace, well, I thought I was the only person doing it, but apparently it's a thing. Like, people see you as so intimidating. Mm-hmm. You cannot have it. For me, even me, like, I, I'm a very um, direct person. So, like, when I'm talking, it can come across as harsh. When I'm passionate about something... It gets very harsh as well, but I can't afford to have that because it always feels like as if people are looking for something to confirm what they already believe. Yeah. You can't give, you don't get any leeway to fuck up once. You don't get to have like, I don't have to explain that. It basically, it's um, very unforgiving being black. That's the word for it. Or that's the way to think about it. It's unforgiving. People will get one, one or two choice and one or two chances. Um, but whenever you can't fuck up because if you fuck up you're not going to be given another chance mm-hmm. and somebody's going to use that and then use it to confirm their bias about all black people so in, the, in that way you basically end up carrying the burden of all black people whenever something goes wrong mm-hmm. and white people don't get that yeah. like they don't get that a white person fucked up they fucked up a black person fucked up fucked up this is why I don't do black people mm-hmm. it's that that whole burden so whenever you're moving you always have to remember, like, it's, it's like so many times when I would be like in a point where I'm just like, I literally want to lose it. I have to remind myself, I'm like, no, if you lose it here, nobody's ever going to say you had an off day. No one is going to give you the benefit of a doubt. Like, nobody's going to do it. So, mm. and even worse is the fact that they will start looking at you and say, that's how all black people are like. Mm. So you're then fucking up other people after you. They'll use it as like an excuse to gaslight you almost. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's been a lot of that going on. So they will literally, it's like, you know, it's like, if we're looking for something to confirm a bias, you will find it. You mm-hmm. just have to wait long enough. Mm-hmm. Whether it's virtual, um, it's one where I got told that I should walk quieter with heels. I was just like, how do you walk quite, like, quite I don't understand. Like, yeah. It, it, it's just like they will find something. And it's just, it's, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a very, I guess it's very, mad burden to have to carry with you mm-hmm. and I think it's the same for to be honest black boys and black girls um, where you're just aware that you can't fuck up mm. you, not even as a child can you fuck up I mean you see all these studies about like people that set, even for identical crimes the sentencing being harsher yeah. for black people so even as a kid they don't give you leeway um, even stuff like um, remember talking to a friend about this year I know a lot of people who have dyslexia, but why is it that the black people tend to get diagnosed later? Yeah, that's actually even kind of a perfect example um, because my mum actually has um, dyslexia and she was only diagnosed when she went to do her master's um, about two years ago. Um, and this is a woman who I'm not going to tell. Her, I'm not going to say her age, which wouldn't she'd hate me if I did that. But this is a woman who has a daughter who's almost thirty. So <laughs> you can you can imagine, you know, that to have gone. Yeah, to have gone that far in life without, you know, anyone ever bothering to pick up on the fact that, you know, you had educational difficulties. Yeah, it's not like, because it, it, I've got quite a few dyslexic friends mm-hmm. and it's something that you're seeing a lot because when a white kid misbehaves, people look for 
and a set rule, an explanation. Mm-hmm. Whereas when a black kid misbehaves, it becomes they're aggressive or they're anti. They, they have problems. Yeah, maybe it's a gang related, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talk because my sister is darker than me, mm-hmm. so that's where we get into the colorism part of this. And she hung around a lot of white people, mm-hmm. and there was a situation like, for instance, there was a situation where she had a friend. And this friend actually said, friend, they got into an argument. The girl said that my sister had upset her or whatever. And my sister got put in detention and, you know, yeah, basically got put in detention, had to apologize and everything. A few weeks later, um, this girl actually threatened to kill my sister. Like, actually threatened to kill my sister. And, you know, and this thing, she threatened to kill my sister and my sister said it. She started crying. And then they told my sister, and she was like, yeah, she's sorry, instead of crying. And they told my sister to get over it. They literally just told her, like, get over it, she already apologised. Yeah. It was just stuff like that where it's like, really? Mm. Like, just really? And I would say, like, my sister's experiences with probably is more to do with, like, guys saying that she was ugly, or saying that she was pretty for a black girl, or for a dark-skinned girl, or, you know, Batman, you can't see in the night, stuff like that. Yeah. So when I speak to my sister, I'm, I'm very aware about what I should and should not say because I'm not sure how much she would like me to say. But when I speak to my sister, it becomes quite clear that there is a certain privilege that lighter skinned people get mm-hmm. that dark people don't get. Mm. Because I would say, like, to be honest, her experiences have been a lot, lot worse than, I, than mine. Just, yeah. Like, with, like when she's dating, fertilization is a big one that keeps on coming up. Um, again, I'm going back to the point that a lot of this, I'm not going to lie, as a race, we need to do better. Yeah. Because we, we need to stop blaming the colonial master. Uh, so for me, when I hear yeah. comments light skinned and I'm just like, listen, we're all black. Like, can you go away? Mm-hmm. There's nothing, there's, why are we talking about that? Like, why are we just. Why have we gotten to the point now where we're now talking about people having... It just for me doesn't make sense. But, yeah. Uh, what I was just going to say is I think for myself, um, one interesting thing which I've kind of just been thinking about a lot actually since I started doing you know, this kind of interview process is the fact that... I don't want to say kind of everyone's racist, but I think there's a fact that I don't think a perfect ally or a perfect... Um, I don't say perfect person, but I would say I don't think a perfect ally exists. And that's both within a community and outside of a community. And kind of what I mean by this is that, to use the example of, again, kind of black people, right? There's kind of a common, you know, at least identification amongst most black people that racism exists and that we should do everything that we can to fight racism, right? However, still within that, we see the perpetuation of misogynoir. We see the perpetuation of homophobia towards, you know, black LGBT people. We see transphobia towards, you know, black trans people. And there's not necessarily that same cohesion or coherence that actually, you know, a lot of these stem from that same racism. There's a reason why, using trans people as an example, there's a reason why um, the way white trans people are treated in the UK, America, globally, and in the media is completely different from how black trans people are treated, if black trans people are ever seen. And a lot of these kind of systems are built on racism. 
Um, but I think even within a community ourselves, all of us are kind of acting as imperfect allies. We're acting as people who, you know, we can claim to support everything under the sun. We can claim to be about this progress. But I don't think, I don't think anyone, I, I don't think people hold themselves to enough account. And I'm going to use black men in particular as an example. Um, so I think black men in particular, um, and this is even including myself, I'm not going to pretend that I'm above this. There are definitely times when I should have said a lot more um, in, in regards to, let's say, even defending black women, let's say, in regards to challenging what other black men have said. And there's definitely times I should have shut the fuck up um, in terms of black women are speaking about their lived experience. And I've said something which has been deconstructive or has derailed the conversation. Um, but sorry, I, I, feel, I feel like I cut you off um, there for a second, sorry. I mean, I, I agree with you, but I think, to be honest, we, like, I'm going to say as a female here, we always want to have, like, a, oh, black men and problem. But the thing is that a lot, I think where my issue, where, my, where I say black men mm -hmm. is... To be honest, we all have to unlearn. So my own unlearning, I'm not going to lie, my own unlearning, when I was at sixth form, um, I used to use tanning lotions a lot. I wanted to look exotic. I wanted to look more goldy. Mm -hmm. So I had to go and sit down and be like, I didn't, like I knew bleaching was bad, so I didn't want to do bleaching, but tanning seemed like a fair enough something. And people say, oh, your skin is glowing, and that's what I wanted. And I guess, like, I'm fair enough that I can kind of get to the quote-unquote exotic-looking thing with a nice enough tanner. Um, and for me, like, and even, like, with my hair, like, I remember mm -hmm. my hair was a very, very big thing in the sense that I came... For a long time, I associated beauty with my hair. Mm -hmm. Actually, not my hair, but something else I would put on it. So mm -hmm. it would be a situation of I couldn't leave... Like, even when I was doing... I used to do, like, um, normal wigs, then I moved to blue hair and all of that. It would be, like... If I took it off, I would stay at home till it was put back on. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't leave the house. Like, it would be like, no, I can't. It's like basically leaving that your face on. Like, it's yeah. stuff like that. Or even feeling like as if we always have to. We all have to. I think a mistake or something that people don't quite understand is like, we all have to learn. There's a lot about beauty standards, a lot about what we see as attractive, a lot about what we see as, the, as you know, mm -hmm. higher up that is affected by racism we all have to unlearn it mm. so I think again you said something about this it's like really ownership and saying you know what I'm not I'm not as good as I want to claim that I am yeah that's fine I'm going to try and do better but it seems like I see racism or racist has become this title that nobody wants to nobody wants to be associated with yeah nobody wants to be associated with it. and mm -hmm. the danger of that is you don't unlearn you hide hmm. which means you don't get better so all of us like to be honest all of us I had a phase where I thought oh I would like mixed children children mm -hmm. children with curly hair because I didn't like my pinky hair I'm not going to lie my hair we're still working with it we're trying um, but everybody, we all have this phase I remember I had a very long phase where I'm just like I just wanted a baby with nice hair like the hair thing keeps coming up like nice hair yeah I want a child. So it's not like we've never went through all of this. And now, to be honest, if I'm honest, and people will say that it's problematic, but I don't think it's problematic. I really want a child who has my hair texture. Like, I want a black child, not a mixed-race child, not a... I mean, if God has plans for me to have a mixed-race child, obviously, it is what it is. But giving me the preference, I want a child who looks just like me. Mm -hmm. That's, that wasn't always there. I wanted a child who would get, like, you know, black don't crack skin, 
but we'd have longer looser curls. Like, so we all have to unlearn. So I feel something I see a lot when I have this conversation with a lot of black men is it's like by, the, by you telling them, it's like you're attacking them. Whereas you're actually just trying to say that, listen, we're all victims. We all try to de-victimize ourselves. Or, yeah, we all have to do better. Mm-hmm. But it feels like you're attacking. It feels like... And because um, we talk about male privilege here a lot, but mm-hmm. it is true, I guess males can afford not to listen. And often until, like, you know, like a male can afford to marry outside and have mixed-race children. And up until, I remember, like, reading something about this, when a woman married a guy who was colorist, and she knew he was colorist. She was, like, Latina, so it didn't matter until one child comes out darker than the other. And then that's the problem, yeah. And then shit hits the fan. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. mad. But why did he have to get to that? Yeah. And I think that's actually a really interesting place to actually kind of jump back into. So obviously kind of looking at actually kind of the learning process that you yourself had to undergo. What do you think actually kind of fueled that process? Hmm. I think, to be honest, this is a hard question. I think it's when I started taking interest more into like reasons for like at least I went through a process where I started believing that there was a reason for everything we did so I think I was having like a bit of a identity crisis so actually I would say that this was more in the last two three years actually it's not very it's very late but I was having a bit of an identity crisis and I started to question everything that I did because I wanted to understand more about who I was and then I think I then began to realize that some of the things I was saying were not quite were not quite aligning with what I was supposed to stand for. So I can't say. So a lot of this, to be honest, will come into feminism, womanism, um, like more towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like okay, so stuff like like okay, if I say about body count, like so, if I say I don't care about body count, then why am I why am I using why am I saying that a certain number is acceptable and certain numbers are not mm-hmm. if I don't believe that a woman should be determined by body count? Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So I think it was more of really starting to think about the processes, like how my brain was working. And I would say it basically started off with my hair. So with my hair, I, I think for a long time, I associated my beauty with my blue hair. And then I just said, you know what? Yeah, I just said, I'm going to chop it all off and I'm going to see what what. I'm left with and I was like okay and then that came off and I was like oh and it was like I, my hair has been relaxed all my life so I've never seen curls before um so it's like oh okay and then I think it was just a gradual process of really just sitting down there reading a lot of youtubers like I, I, I love I have a lot of youtubers I love watching so um I don't know if you know Troy Malvin yeah I'm in Loho Chrissy although guys never like Chrissy <laughs> do you know Chrissy? No, no, no. Uh, yeah, if you search her, you know why guys don't like her. Um, a lot of guys don't like her. Um, but yeah, so I was just watching. So more than anything, was like it's not like I'm gonna sit down and take what a YouTuber says as gospel, mm-hmm. but it's going to spark something, or it's going to be like, oh, actually, mm. let's think about that. So I think a lot of that was now saying, okay, you know, what do I see? Do, do I actually see myself as beautiful? If I'm trying to assimilate, if I'm trying to be always going towards more white or more something other than me, 
I cannot see myself like I've changed my name is shirt sh- shortened. Um, I'm actually considering going back to my full name, mm-hmm. which is fun. But I'm just like my name is shortened. My hair is in wigs and in funny in funny styles that everybody's like, oh my god, your hair is so beautiful. Like this, this. Um, everything is so like trying to move towards somebody else. Maybe not even necessarily white, but just moving something to something to something other than black. Mm-hmm. So I think I had to start sitting down there and thinking about what it is I stood for yeah. as a person. Um, yes, I think that's what triggers it. It basically just had like a trickle. So I think my hair was probably the biggest one. Um, and then it pretty much trickled down to basically. And then now every time I'm, I'm, like, I'm a very big fan of reflection. So I like to reflect. So sometimes I would say or do something that I'm like, oh, that's a big question mark. And I'm like, okay, why did I do that? So I think it's more about how I am now. I really, I, I, I want to understand how I'm working. I want to understand, I don't want to be a contradiction. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want, I feel like there's a lot of people who are very, who contradict themselves a lot. Um, they say one thing and they do another. And the world is open, so people can see right through, it doesn't make sense. And also you have to ask yourself then, if you're contradicting yourself, which is the truth? Are you just building a persona because that's what because now being you know enlightened is in you know that some it's, it's like okay you want to seem enlightened but i'm like but when you go back to your actual life nothing has really changed yeah yeah there's an escapist element there and like you're almost kind of running away from a reality which you know you'd rather have kind of something more fan- like fantasy like rather than kind of what you're actually living through if that kind of makes sense um and one thing yeah. i find really interesting that you kind of spoke about the fact that kind of actually reflecting and kind of considering a relationship with hair um it's kind of where this journey started yeah. i think it's really interesting that when we're kind of looking at actually as black people our relationship with how we perceive our hair as kind of the first or even kind of the most overt way of actually considering how we perceive our blackness yeah, it, I think that because I, I kept coming back to the hair thing, the hair thing is very, very important mm-hmm. um, because yeah, it's very, very important. There's not really a way around. And because, to be honest, the kinky 4C hair mm-hmm. is almost exclusive to black people. Um, so it's like, I don't know, there's a whole thing about, okay, about it being in to look ambiguous or to look, like, I always say exotic, but to look ambiguous. So mm-hmm. to look like, oh, she's a bit of a spicy one. She's a bit of mm-hmm. like, it's, it's kind um, of when like you bring out your natural hair. Yeah, like you want to look, yeah, you want to look like a bit of a spicy one and everything is all hiding. Mm-hmm. You just want to look less like or better than the typical black person, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a, I'll say the hair one, I'm not going to lie, me and my sister both dealt with that one because we both, basically, my mom was just looking at us because we've basically been relaxing our hair since we're like two, three. So we've never seen curly hair. So we basically just decided to chop them off and then we left it that way. Yeah. And for me, for me, I'm going to say the hair thing is something I'm very happy, like I feel like there's an, an actual movement. I'm seeing way more natural hair out. It, it's, it's beautiful to see. I'm not going to lie. I get smiley. I get, okay. it's very cute to see. Um, but it was basically because like, if you think about like the history of relaxers it was created to tame our hair down to make our hair more white so it's like why am i putting chemicals which actually damage my my, my hair which is what hair relaxers do they damage your hair there's not really a way around it hmm. and they permanently straighten your hair but your hair is still not quite white because it's still got the weird like it's like a weird in between 
curly hair or curly kinky hair and straight hair. It's not quite straight. Yeah. But it's like you just want to get there. We don't, and to be honest, and this is the hair thing I always say is also a generational problem because effectively, like my pro- my mom, I have a massive problem with it in the sense that I thought about it. How am I, my mom doesn't know how to take care of natural hair. She's never had natural hair. So she relaxes her hair. Mm-hmm. So when we wanted to transition, she can't teach us. Mm. She doesn't know. And it's like, okay, I have said, and my child is not gonna, I'm gonna have to just learn how to deal. And if there's anything like my hair, it will be full. So I'm just gonna have to deal with it. But it's like, you get an issue where effectively, before all this natural hair movement came up, came about, people just, just relax their hair. Like it would be like, oh, I'm gonna go get my hair done. Going to go get your hair done means going to go relax it. Yeah. That's just basically when a new growth comes, that's what you do. So it's like, you kind of have this system where no one really knows how to take care or how to do the hair that God gave to you. That is a definition of your blackness. Mm. Because especially Africans, if you're like not mixed Africans and you're just straight African, most of the time you're looking at 4B slash 4C hair. So it's like, how can your default thing on how to take care of your hair, the definition of your blackness, be to permit straighten it yeah so to make it closer to whiteness essentially yeah Mm. so when i really sat down and thought to be honest relaxing my hair did not make sense anymore it it didn't make sense anymore it's like it 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 felt like as if i would be contradicting myself and i'm glad i feel that that's something that i'm seeing more and more girls especially coming on getting to that point so i see way I, i'm seeing i'm gonna say that now the exception is relaxed hair most hair see even when people put them in wigs the hair underneath is being taken care of and it's natural and that's nice mm. but it's true like it's almost like you, don't, you, you i don't know it's very difficult to explain the relationship with hair thinking about it is very it's very difficult to explain mm. it now i was just gonna say like for me just looking at kind of even the relationship i have with my own hair obviously it's very different again um from kind of the relationship a black woman has with her hair but there are things which I've had to kind of like learn as my hair's gone thicker because like I think when you when we first met I had like an afro and then from then I've just been trying out different <laughs> styles um, I even tried to learn how to cane, I even tried to learn yeah. how to cane row um, like two nights ago and cane row is fucking difficult so <laughs> that's, that's another one but like even having to learn how to just do my hair as a guy there's so many kind of questions around that surrounding you know I remember the very first time I, I twisted my hair my dad was like what the fuck are you doing there's questions around like you know masculinity sexuality just from kind of how you do your hair so it's very interesting how within kind of black people within black people interacting with white people regardless of kind of the interactions hair is so political and it's so inherently connected to that blackness um, but what, yeah, your hair is a political statement. Actually, what Gibbs mm-hmm. was saying actually makes sense. It's actually a political statement. Mm. Your hair is not. It's not just hair. Like for some reason, we've attached. We, we've attached so much. We've. We don't see it as just hair, just growing out of our scalp. It's just hair. Like a white person's hair is just silky. Our hair is just curly. Like it's. Yeah. We don't seem to understand. Like I think we're getting better at it. Um, but it definitely is. I would, I would definitely say that's the, that was the beginning of it. Um, and making that step. And I'm not gonna lie, even still, it's like, it's it, for me, it's very important because it now means that as a generation, if I understand how to take care of my hair, it means that I'm less likely because my mom's mom didn't keep her natural hair; she relaxed it. Yeah. So that's what my mom learned, which yeah. is what she passed on to me. 
So when it got to unruly, it was like, yeah, straight, let's go. Yeah. So now, hopefully, we can end up like breaking that whole the generational curse effectively, mm-hmm. because now I'm learning how to take care of my hair, and I am so adamant my child will have natural hair. So I'll t- I'll make sure that I take care of my um, I'll make sure that I I take care of my child's natural hair without feeling the need to perm or relax it. And then hopefully she then understands. I think now we can then relearn how to take care of our own hair.